0: Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve you. Warm introduction, Pastor Mike, and and thank you so much for your support. You've been a, a supporting church of our ministry, as Pastor Mike said, and we're so grateful to you for that. We're we're very excited. We've we've been around since 1935. You might not know that. Uh, I don't know if anybody here has been around quite that uh, long, but, but we've been around since 1935, and uh, and it's just, as Pastor Mike said, there is a, there is truly a leadership crisis that we're facing right now, but we're really encouraged to see uh, leaders coming forward and and joining us. This year, we had a, a record enrollment. It's the highest enrollment we've had, certainly, since I've been there in the last... Uh, I've been there 15 years, but I think it's, it's the highest enrollment we've seen in... In, uh, in a couple of decades at least. And so we're really encouraged by that and continue to see that growth. And uh, we're really excited to, to challenge people here to consider stepping out into Christian leadership, either at a lay level or at a, in a professional level. There really is, there's a crisis is, is true. It truly is a crisis. And we have opportunities. You can blend learning at a community college with what we teach. You can also blend your, um, your studies with, 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 uh, with leadership, between leadership and, uh, and multiple different streams that we have at the undergraduate level. You don't have to come to Saskatoon. Now, I know that that might seem like a relief to you. Uh, you can stay right here, and we will come to you. We have, we have really developed a high level, a high quality of, of online interactive engagement. So, 40% of our students don't set foot on our campus and, uh, and we're able to meet with them. We also have master's programs as well, happy to talk to you about that if you've already got an undergraduate degree and might be interested in, in pursuing master's programs. So we, we want to engage you because it's really important that we see leaders develop. And leaders aren't just young, some of you are, are maybe a little bit uh, less young and might be feeling a, a call to ministry as well. I'd love to chat with you. I'll be out back afterwards. I brought my daughter with me from Saskatoon, so she's, uh, she won't be as excited to chat with you. She'll keep quiet. But anyway, <laughs> but she can stand there with me. Anyway, really, uh, really, really pleased to, to be with you and just want to thank you again for your support. It's made a difference and uh, continues to make a difference. So I wasn't brought here, though, to just do a, Commercial. So we're gonna we're gonna turn to we're gonna turn to the word now, uh, and and spend some time looking at that. But let me just pray for us as we as we transition to that. Lord, we thank you for just thank you so much, Lord, for your your goodness. We thank you for your your graciousness, and uh, we pray as we turn to your word this morning that you would open our eyes to what you have for us as followers of you in Jesus name we pray amen well yeah i left saskatoon uh, yesterday and it was it was remembrance day and so we as a family we always take a take some time to honor the have, honor our, our silence together and and watch the service and uh, and take time to remember and and remembrance day you know the history probably, but originally Armistice Day back in 1918, and the, remembering that at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, um, we, we remember the end of, of World War I. And eventually in Canada, uh, the, in the 30s, the, the name changed from Armistice Day to Remembrance Day. And the focus is on, on remembering those who have died and in service to to defending our our, our nation and uh, and this goes around around the world. it's not just in, in Canada that we celebrate this, but when you listen to the to the speeches as they talk about Remembrance Day, often the focus is on the continued conflict as we just heard about today, and we have this conflict, and the prayers and the thoughts are about peace because we we want to have peace. And Remembrance Day, part of the, the function of it is to remember so that we might learn lessons and not continue to do the things that cause us to need to remember. So we had, we've had Remembrance Day or Armistice Day since 1919 when it started. But if you know a little bit of history, or if you're alive, uh, you'll be aware that uh, that Remembrance Day Armistice Day did not usher in world peace, so we had we had conflict that ended at World War I, but then we had World War two and we 've had multiple conflicts since those those world wars and between them and and really there 's very few periods of history where there hasn 't been that type of conflict besides war, we have other types of challenges we have Pandemics. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but uh, but even after the war, just after World War I ended, then we had the smallpox pandemic. And, and then you may have heard of, you know, economic troubles. There are, you know, recessions and things. I don't know if that sounds like a familiar word to you. But, but right around, you know, after, between the First and Second World War, We had the Great Depression. We've had these challenges to our security and well-being that kind of seem to have existed in this past century, but that was really nothing new. And when the Apostle Paul was alive and and writing his letters and and going around, uh, the Apostle Paul was living in a world that similarly was full of wars and disease Conflicts, economic challenges so when Paul, when Paul wrote Romans, uh, he, he started out in a situation where he was dealing with some tensions, and, and I put some pictures up. By the way, this is my, my, these are my pictures from my, my last visit to Rome. so nice to know an Italian wife. Okay, bene. okay, that's very good. So the lasagna is very good. So anyway, the but we have the uh, but Paul Paul was writing to the Romans and in ancient Rome. You know, it was it was a challenging time, and and so around the time that Paul's writing, there's always wars going on. Rome's expanding; they're taking over territories everywhere. They're enslaving people left and right, and and you know we we may have struggles you know we're out west a little bit we might not like our federal leaders as much you know we have but but Paul's leaders the emperors they were cuckoo bananas like they were they were genuinely nuts and they wielded a lot of power and they had very little thing very little that restricted their power and so when Paul was writing Romans it seems that around that time just before then, the, the Emperor Claudius had kicked out all the Jews. If you were Jewish, you got kicked out of Rome just for being Jewish because they didn't like you if you were Jewish. And then, and then around the time he's writing, it seems that these, these Jews were coming back into, into the city of Rome. And in the meanwhile, the the followers of Jesus, who were not Jewish, had kind of been... Holding down the different churches. And now the, the followers of Jesus who were Jewish are coming back in and they're now mingling again. And it's causing a little bit of church conflict. And so Paul's writing to this, this conflict in this church, and there's disease, and there is, there's people at part of the early followers of Jesus that are coming from various economic levels. And there's tensions there because you have people from the slave class and people from the higher classes and they aren't getting along even though supposedly they're all one at the foot of the cross. But that's the message that Paul's dealing with. And so there's, there's, this, there's this struggle that Paul's dealing with. There's this struggle that we're dealing with and the, the reality is for Paul as for us that this life can be painful and uncertain and hard. And that might be part of your experience today as well. But what I want us to do here is is to take a look through through Romans a little bit and arrive at this passage that concludes the first kind of part of Romans, this beautiful passage that Paul talks about where he's he concludes with this great triumphant piece. But there's a there's a part to the the triumph where we need to remember that that it's addressing a world where life is painful and uncertain and hard. So here's a quick lesson through Romans. We're going to take a quick glance. So the, Paul starts out with, with his letter to, Romans and, to the Romans, and he hasn't been there. This isn't a place. This isn't a church he set up. He's wanted to get out and visit these guys, but he says he's been prevented from doing so up to this point, but he's hoping to get there. And what he wants is to share the good news. He wants to share the gospel. And his gospel is his good news that if you're a Jewish follower of Jesus and a non-Jewish follower of Jesus, a Gentile, like most of us, uh, hey, we're, we're in this together and we're all under the same banner. So, so if you go through, here's your, this is your quick walk through Romans, but if you go through the, Romans 1 and 2 he's really setting up kind of the, the Jewish side of things. He's saying, look, if you're a Jew, we're God's people. And we, we've been given the gift of knowing right and wrong because he gave us, he revealed this to us, and so that makes us kind of special. But it doesn't make us so special that we're better than everybody else. It just helps us know what's right and wrong. It doesn't actually make us do right from wrong. And then he gets into Romans 3, and he starts talking about the non-Jews, and, and he concludes here, uh, so here's a, here's a thing to underline if you're looking for something, but uh, Romans chapter, chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, what then, are we better off if we're Jews? Are we better? No, not at all. For we've already said that both Jews and Greeks, the Jew and the non-Jew, Jew, are under the power of sin. The power of sin. And the way that Paul talks about sin is it's not just something we do, it's like a master under whom we are enslaved. And he goes on to to unpack that. So in Romans chapter chapter 5, 6, 7, he unpacks this concept where sin has been allowed into the world because Adam and Eve disobeyed God and gave power back to sin, and sin consequently enslaved us. And the consequence of that slavery is death, the disease, the destruction, the wars, the famines. All of these things are a consequence of giving power back to sin. And Paul says, this is the lot that we share, Jew, non-Jew, it doesn't matter. We're were jointly enslaved to these power, this power of sin. Sin more than just you sin, you do the act of sin because you're enslaved to the power of sin. And what Paul wants to get at is the power of sin. What, is, what are we going to do about this? So this is, this is where Paul unpacks this concept in, in Romans 5, 6, and 7. But we want to look at here Romans chapter 5 he starts out here, and he says, he says, the solution to all of this is faith. It's faith. There's nothing you can do. It's the faithfulness of Jesus in whom we put our faith. That's what's going to be ultimately what gets us out of this. And he says, since we're made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access to this grace, this gift, because we haven't been able to earn it, in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. But then in verse 3 of chapter 5, he says something interesting here, that life can be painful, uncertain, and hard, even when you're operating in faith. He says this, not only that, but we also boast in in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given us. This is Paul's first mention of the Holy Spirit in, in Romans. And then he's going to go on from there and talk about how Jesus has provided the means for this hope that we have and this spirit that we gives and, and then he goes on through to chapter 6 and, and and 5 and 6, and he talks about this slavery that we have to to sin and death and how we're baptized into Jesus and doing that. We're freed from the power of sin, and we have a hope then to be freed from the power of death because we will, like Jesus was raised from the dead, so shall we too be raised from the dead. That's the hope. We're not raised yet, which is why life continues to be painful, uncertain, and hard, but we're guaranteed to be raised. We're guaranteed, and that's the hope. And he goes on in chapter 8 then to say, well, now we have an opportunity to walk in this new life of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit lives in us, and we're in the Spirit, and we're in Christ, and Christ is in us, and we are empowered to live different from how the world is, even though it's still painful and uncertain. We have this power in us. It's a deposit. It's a guarantee of something better coming. And so chapter 8, we get to chapter 8, and if you're following along in your Bibles, we'll, we'll jump ahead all the way to chapter 8, verse 18. He says this. He picks up that from, from chapter 5 about the suffering, and he says, I consider the suffering of this present age that this is not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us for the creation, the whole creation, not just us as humans, but everything, the whole world's messed up. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, for creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay, to death, and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god and we know the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains get that image in your well maybe not but but this is the imagery labor pains some of you more, know better than me what that feels like until now not only creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit We groan inwardly while we wait for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies, that resurrection we're looking forward to, for in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who who hopes for what he's seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul paints this picture to the Romans, who are not in a world where everything's making a lot of sense. It's an uncertain world, it's a hard world, there's suffering, there's pain. And he's saying, but this isn't the end. Life is painful, uncertain, and hard, but he wants to point out that our lives are 100% secured. But the security of our lives, that certainty, that certain hope, is not tied to anything here that we can see or depend on, including ourselves. And so Paul goes on here, and we want, I want to now come to the passage that we're going to actually focus on here for the remainder of our time, starting in verse 31. He says, so what are we going to say about all these things? Verse 31, if God is for us, who's against us? He who didn't withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, God who makes right, makes things right. Who else? Who is there to condemn? It's Christ Jesus who died. Indeed, not just who died, but who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God from the love of Christ will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it's written, For your sake, we are all we are being killed all day long. He's quoting now from Psalm 44, we are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, we are super victors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So so Paul here ends this first part of Romans on this crescendo of hope that is securing our life outside of this life. And there's just three things here I want to just take a look at here initially from this passage. In verse 31, what what then are we to say about these things? And I think these things, he's referring back to the suffering he introduced in chapter 8 and the suffering and the argument he developed in chapter 5 about overcoming sin and death. And And he says, what are we going to say about this? If God is for us, he says, God is for us. So what's our security? Where does our security rest? It rests in in god and the proof of that the proof that god is for us is that he gave his son he gave his child that shows the level of commitment that god has this is god he did not even withhold the deep love god is is for us we can be secure in that it's on him he gave his son and then going on here. He says, God is for us, but, but God is, is, is also the one who makes things right. It is God who justifies. It is God who makes things right. Well, how does He do that? Well, through His Son. Well, how does the Son do that? Through His death. Yes, we proclaim the death of Jesus, but, but a dead Jesus is not a Jesus that gives us hope. It is a Jesus who has died, yes, But a Jesus who has been raised, God did not leave him dead. And the imagery here, this goes back to these slavery, to the powers of sin and death. Jesus is given over to the power of death, but death can't hold him. Because Jesus is raised up, he's lifted up, and in doing that, the shackles are broken. Death has no power any longer over Jesus. Death doesn't have any heat. All the power that it could do to hold him in the tomb has been broken. Jesus' power is greater than the power of death. And that's why when we are baptized into Jesus, we are sure that death won't hold us because we are in the one over whom death has no power. So Jesus is raised from the dead, but he's also ascended to the right hand of the Father. To be at the right hand of the Father, this is a statement of authority. This is a statement. This is something that we don't, as Christians and our modern Christians anyway, we don't realize Jesus' work wasn't all finished in the past. Jesus is working now. He's still working. He's at the right hand, authorizing, making right the world that's gone wrong. And it says here, and he intercedes for us. He's he is our lawyer. He is our advocate. We see this in Hebrews. We see this in 1 John. Here is, here is a Jesus who hasn't left us in the mess. He's continuing to work on our behalf. He's continuing to make right. He's continuing to petition with the Father. We are secure. Our hope is secure because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And this reminds us back, these, this, this security, because, it, because God is for us. Because, because, God, he, because he gave his son and because God makes right. And this, this takes us back again to that earlier chapter, chapter 5 and verse 8. And here, here we're reminded in chapter 5, 8 that, that it wasn't because of anything that we did right that God is for us. It says in verse 5, 8, But God proves his love for us in this well we were yet sinners christ died for us get get the sequence of that it doesn't depend upon something that we have done our security isn't have i been good enough have i said my prayers enough have i been have i been grovely enough have i done enough service hours at down at the food bank It isn't dependent upon those things. It is dependent and initiated upon the love of God that he sent Jesus. And we are baptized into Jesus over whom there is no more power of sin and death and we're lifted up out of that. And so we get this this certainty. The, The security we have is not dependent on us and that, if you're like me, should give you a big relief because if it depended all on me, I would not feel very secure at all. So our lives are 100% secured outside of this life. They're secured in God. And that's a mighty place to be secured. And then we think about this, if that's where the security is, well, what's the threat? You know, you've got our investment. How strong is this bank? Well, there is nothing, says Paul. There is nothing that this or any other life can throw at us that remotely threatens our security in Christ. And so the rest of the passage, this great crescendo that Paul ends this first part of Romans on, in, uh, he says here, "'Who will separate us from the love of Christ, "'hardship or distress?' or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, Paul here is using something that they used in the ancient world sometimes. Sometimes the philosophers would kind of give a list of, of, of different sorts of hardships and then say, this is why I'm so great. But Paul doesn't do this. Paul gives a list of hardships and says, this is why Christ is so great. He shifts it around. He shifts it around. And if we go to another passage, if we go over to to 2 Corinthians, we read about Paul. Uh, Paul here here wants to make clear that we know, our first point, that we're not promised by coming into Christ. We're not promised a pain-free life right now. And he says, well, this is what my experience has been like as a follower of Jesus, So, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, As servants of God, we've commended ourselves in every way, through great endurance and affliction, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love. Um, And then he goes on to say, We are treated as imposters, and yet are true. We're telling the truth, but people don't believe us. As unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and yet we see we're alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. And he goes on later in Second Corinthians. He says this, I five times I have received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers and sisters in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, and besides other things, I'm under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to stumble and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, that God and Father of our Lord Jesus, blessed be he forever, knows that I do not lie. In Damascus, the governor under King Ariatess guarded the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was led down through a basket out of a window in a wall and escaped from his hands. This is Paul's life as a follower of Jesus. He's reminding us that following Jesus in this life is not a get-out-of-difficulty card. We hope we don't have to go quite as difficult as, as Paul. But it's, we're not promised an easy life, but we are promised an eternal life. We are promised an eternal life that is pain-free. And I'll just refer one more, one more time going back again uh, to a couple of, of, uh, of verses here. So at the end of, of chapter 6 here, I'm flipping around in my Bible, six uh, 622. But now that you have been freed from sin because we're baptized into Christ, freed from sin and and enslaved to God. When we follow Jesus, we change masters. We exchange an oppressive master for a good master. Note we are never freed just to be our own master. That's not on the table. We belong either to sin and death or to Jesus and God. Uh, but, But now that you've been freed from sin and enslaved to God... The advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and, and so we, we get this sense in which there's more coming. There's, there's life to come. And as Paul said, I don't consider the suffering we have now to even be close to the glory that is awaiting us. And so Paul says here... Going back to our passage here in verse 37, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We are super victors. But how are we super victors? It has nothing to do with us. We're victors, super victors. It's a weird word in Greek. We're super conquerors like the Avengers because of not us, but because of Christ, it's all resting on Him. So as we, as we conclude here, there's three, three things to kind of take away from this. And, and the first is, if you haven't done so already, this is an opportunity to transfer your life to Jesus. The way that Paul paints the picture of the world is you belong to Somebody. You're never on your own. And you're either serving a master that's going to lead you into a place that isn't eternal peace, or you can transfer into one who will guarantee your future. So you can transfer, transfer your life to Jesus. The second is to, to note that in your in your own experience, even as a follower of Jesus, life isn't always easy, and it's not promised to be easy. But here, Paul gives us the opportunity to recognize that even in the calamity, we can have hope, and we can give that pain. We can give that uncertainty. We give that over to Jesus. He'll go on in Romans after this chapter 8, he'll go on to talk more about Israel and the, the, the way that the Jews and the non-Jews can, can interact. And then he'll say, well, how do we walk this out, starting in chapter 12? How do we walk this out as people of hope and faith? What does that look like day to day? And one of the things he says in chapter 12, where he talks about walking it out, is, listen, we aren't burdened on earth. When, when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt with it. Giving our pain and uncertainty and difficulties to Jesus also means opening up to those around us who are co-followers of Jesus. And the last is, is to re- recite our conviction. And, and Paul, I mean, he gave such a beautiful end to this that I'd like to invite you as a congregation to, to respond. And if you are able to, maybe stand. And we can read this read this together as a declaration in our conclusion we'll read off the screen so we're all got the same version for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor future things nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of god In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.